Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we know uh, from the things we've heard from Walt that integrity is uh, very, very important to you. But what is it? I pray that you would open our the eyes of our hearts to understand uh, that we might be men of integrity, that uh, you would change us, and that uh, as we spend this time, Lord, it would count for eternity. Now we commit it to you. We know that unless your Spirit does something, nothing happens. But we trust it will, and you will. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. Integrity. It's obviously something that is very, very important to God. See if I can not put my back to anybody. And I'm going to just walk us through. There are not that many verses that really use the word, but let's look at a few of them. In the Old Testament, and you don't need to turn these. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Just might write them down. You can look them up later. In 1 Kings 9, 4, God talking to Solomon, He says, And as for you, if you will walk, me before, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness. He says, Solomon, do like your dad. Don't, don't set the government up. Don't have great policies. Walk in integrity of heart. About Job... God comments. He's going to make a comment to Satan. And he says, after he has gotten the first round from Satan, and God points out the fact that, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him. That's in Job 2.3. So the thing... It was First uh, Kings 9.4. Job 2.3. The thing that God points out about Job is that he held on to his te- integrity. In uh, verse 9, Job's wife says to him, in chapter 2, do you still hold fast your integrity? In Job 6.29, Job says, my integrity is at stake. Now, you know, we sit there and think, integrity, he lost his family, he lost all of his possessions, his health, his wife left him. What's that got to do with integrity? And yet in verse 27.5, Job says, till I die, I will not put away my integrity from him. That was the issue. Well, what the heck is it? If you turn to uh, Proverbs, it says, He who walks in integrity walks securely. Something that gives us security. In Proverbs 11.3, Proverbs 10.9 and 11.3, it says the integrity of the upright will guide them. How does t- integrity guide somebody? Psalm 78, verse 72, the psalmist says, David shepherded them talking about Israel according to the integrity of his heart. Is that, that's how he did. Not, not, again, it's not the policies, not the ideas. It was his integrity. You turn to the New Testament and when some men approached Jesus in Matthew twenty-two sixteen, they said, we know you're a man of integrity. They didn't know who, who exactly he was or where he came from, what his purpose was, but they knew he was a man of integrity. In Titus 2.7 it says, In all things show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with integrity in your teaching. Integrity, integrity. What the heck is it? Well, I don't think we really know. Let me suggest a few things that integrity is not. Because we do get tend to get it confused. Integrity is not accuracy. I'll tell you, accuracy is what you get in Washington, D.C., Carefully worded statements that will totally lack integrity. No, You can't catch them in a lie. They're not very helpful, but they totally lack integrity. You know, you, they have open and frank 
discussions when they meet with another head of state. What does that mean? It's accurate, but it doesn't mean anything. And we know that there's just no integrity. They come out with all these press releases. But that's not integrity. It's not managing the truth. In other words, integrity is not the mere absence of a lie. I think that's really what we think today, is that it's it's uh, purely, if you can avoid telling a bald-faced lie, you're all right. So what we do is we manage the facts. We release them as it suits our needs. We give certain facts to Mr. X, certain facts to Mr. Y, because that will get us what we want from Mr. X or from Mr. Y. And we get into all these problems because we're trying to remember exactly which... What did we tell him and what did we tell them? And do we tell them about that? They're getting together next week. Well, let's be sure we get to him and tell him that because we told him we didn't tell him and we don't want him to find out. So it's not managing the truth. Integrity is not relative. We do live in the age of situational ethics. Uh, people think you can be, be a person of integrity and cheat with the IRS. That's okay because it's the IRS. I mean, they waste our money. They take too much of it. Who cares? It's the government. They got enough money. So we cheat there. Or we'll cheat on an insurance claim. They got a lot of money. What the heck? You know, I'm, a, I'm an honest guy. But it just depends on the circumstances. It depends on the circumstances. But integrity is not relative. It's across the board or it doesn't exist. It's not pragmatism. And that's really where we live today. Here's the test uh, for a man of integrity. Would you want that to appear on the front page of the newspaper? How would that sound on the evening news? Now, that's something I've said. But the truth of the matter is, is in 20 years, what sounds bad on the evening news has changed, hasn't it? But that's a pragmatic approach. In fact, uh, an advertising pioneer named William Burnback coined the phrase, honesty sells. The problem is, so does sex. <laughs> so does greed. So does fear. So when honesty will work, We'll use honesty. Integrity is not pragmatic, though. Tell you what integrity is also not. It's not just honesty. It's actions, too. It's a whole lot more than just telling the truth. But I want to... uh, That's a big part of it today because I think we live in an era where deceit is absolutely insidious. If you don't mind sitting, you've got a space right here by the teacher. Yeah. Do any of these sound familiar? It's in the mail. Or especially when you're younger. I love you. I should get that done today. I'm fine. Everything's okay. With your wife. You always do that. We never get to. See, we traffic in in half-truths and lies. How about this one if you're a Christian? I'll pray for you about that. See, integrity is, or the honesty is not intending to do something. It's, it's telling the truth, doing it. How about, I'll call you. Or my favorite, I'll be right home, honey. <laughs> be home at 5.30 today. Or when you run across somebody, oh gosh, I tried to reach you. What you did is when you saw him, you went, Bob. <laughs> so it's technically true. By the way, I didn't have to go anywhere to find these examples. I didn't have to do any kind of a survey. They were all right there. Um, I can't give you anything right now. Or how about, this is the best product for you. 
See, that's, that's where we live. We have all kinds of lies. In fact, I started thinking about the different kinds of lies. We tell, there's the, the old ball face lie, which was a, my, one of my favorites when I was younger. You know, I was one of those guys who would rather climb a tree to tell a lie when I could stand on the ground and tell the truth. I just, just wanted to see if you'd believe me. I really had a problem. But there's that kind of lie. There's a technically not a lie. Not a lie. Lie. That's where the other guy has a misconception. He tells you about it. You know he's got a misconception. You know how to correct it. And you don't. You don't correct it. You let him Because you didn't give it to him. It's not your fault. So you let him go on in this misconception. Especially if it means he may, get, he may buy from you. There's the kidding. There's kidding. Proverbs says, Like a madman shooting firebrands and deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only kidding. That one hurts. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. False front lies. That's the ones where you, everything's fine. Everything's going great. Yeah, or it's real, even worse, you could say, how's everything going? And I had a guy last week said, do you really want to know? I said, no, I don't have time. If you got something to say, let's get lunch. <laughs> well, I didn't mean it. If I mean it, I'll let you know. Uh, there's the good lies. There's the healthy lies too. Honey, that dress looks great. <laughs> Those, I, I'm gonna, whatever I say today, keep telling that one, okay? Or that was you did a great job. Go, you know all those kind of things when maybe they need some correction. There's the coded message lie. And this is, happens between spouses all the time. Uh, a good example: uh, two weeks ago we were going to go to this big party, and my wife said, "I don't want to go. Uh, we got we've been doing too much. I just don't want to go to this thing." And after 20 years, I finally it's starting to click up here. And I said, "I didn't say anything." So, oh, well, that's okay. We're not going in. Wait a little time. Said, so, you know, why don't we go into the city this weekend? We'll get you a new dress. Really, yeah, I think you've worn all the ones you got, haven't you? Said, oh, I'd love to do that. Never know that we went to the party. She wanted to go. See, but she didn't tell me directly. She sent a coded message, and that's she shouldn't have done that. She should have just told me what the problem was. But I do the same thing. I'm just not going to use an example of mine. Uh, may, I may need it on one of you. <laughs> oh. The image protector lies. We tried to get over there, all the other things. Or things you rent. You rent things for the VCR that you wouldn't be caught dead on going to see at the show. That's just lack of integrity. That's all that is. Um, I'll be a martyr lies. You, you screwed up, but you say it's all my fault, so that way you overstate it so they don't come after you. You, saw, you know, I, I take full responsibility. Well, no. Take your responsibility and let the rest fall where it should. But we do that to get out of having to take what really is our fault. So we, that's a big part of it. Honesty is a big part of it, and that's a, uh, something that I continually struggle with. Okay, so now we kind of we've looked at what it isn't. What the heck is it? Well, the, in the the Old Testament verses, there's really only one word that's used. It's it's given in the male and female version for the same word, uh, but the word is tome, and it means completeness, usually innocence. It's full integrity, perfect simplicity. The root, interestingly, is the thumen. Bob Foster mentioned the thumen the first night we were here. Remember the, on the breastplate for the high priest, he had two stones and they were like dice. And they would throw them. And God, on seven occasions, we know in the scriptures that God told him what to do through that, or at least they did it and made decisions that way. But it's one of those stones and it means perfection. Total truth. And that's what it stands for. The other one was the urim. And... Uh, so that's the word that we get that we translate integrity out of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's two words, and one is 
uh, used in the Gospels, and it means true, as in not concealing. The root is in nothing hidden. Hidden. What you see is what you get. Honestly, uh, you can. If an engineer can tell you what integrity is, they know. It means the bridge looks solid. It is solid. Looks like it'll hold a truck. It will hold a truck. What you see is what you get. Inside out, the same thing. It, it will. Uh, it will. It will hold. It will hold up what it appears to hold up. It will do what it appears to do. In Titus, the word means incorruptible, purity. Webster says it's something that's undivided. It's a firm adherence to a code of values. I'll suggest to you that integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. The exact opposite of hypocrisy. It's a refusal to pretend about anything. And uh, a really excellent definition comes from a non-Christian. Arthur Miller, the playwright, in his play The Crucible, says this. Integrity is bigger than telling the truth. It's about being a certain kind of person. It's about being people who know who we are and what we are. And it's about being true to what we are, even when it could cost us more than we would like to pay. It's being true to what we are, even when it would cost us more than we would like to pay. We say we are Christians and we believe this Bible, this book, cover to cover, it's the Word of God. Is that really, are we really true to that? Do people see that on Monday just because we say we believe it on Sunday? See, I believe if you, if you believe your house is on fire, what do you do? You go in and you get your family out of the house and anything else that's really important to you and get out. You, you act in accordance with what you say you believe. If you say you're dependent on God, then you ought to be praying. That would be a sign of integrity. Because if you're not praying then you're not really dependent on God. So you're not, you're not showing integrity. If you believe there's only one path that's safe and secure, and that's in obedience, then why aren't you staying on that path? Now, there's, there's a difference between mistakes and isolated acts of indulgence and then somebody who leaves the path, either permanently because he wants to take another path or someone who every time he comes across a certain type of situation leaves the path. There's, that's different from just the, the kind of mistake like David made. But integrity is about being the same on the inside and on the outside. Simplicity. You say you believe in God's Word. There's no shaded areas. You take it top to bottom. You get, we quoted from Psalm 15.2, or I didn't. I didn't quote from it before. But one of the, it, one of, in Psalm 15.2 it says, if you want to dwell intimately with God, you walk in integrity. Down two verses in Psalm 15.4 it says, he who, in describing what this person looks like, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, or a better translation said, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. See, that's a good example. You say you're going to do something, price, the circumstance doesn't have anything to do with it. You do it. Daniel is a great example of integrity in the Old Testament. It's really, I encourage you sometime to get just an extended time studying that man's life. And you get some insight into it in Daniel 1.8 when um, he is ta- he's selected to be one of the uh, Babylonian uh, wise men. And they pull him aside and they're going to make him eat some special foods. And it says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission. What Daniel did is he, he, made, he took 
the issue, made a decision, and then went into the circumstances. Let me suggest to you what we would do is see if we can get permission first, and then if we don't, decide what we're going to do. See what Daniel did? He decided what he was going to do, and then the circumstances just revealed how it was played out. They didn't have anything to do with what he was going to do. In a, I mean, they didn't affect what he was going to do. It just showed how it would be played out. He made the decision beforehand. You see the result of this in Daniel 6.4 when they're trying to get him, and it says... Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to governmental affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. That's how it looks. It's rare. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 4, the great chapter on building up the body, and it tells us, you know, after it gives this emphasis that we should be building up the body, it says, until we all attain, this is the purpose of building up the body, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. To a mature man, that word mature means complete. It's another way of saying integrity. Same, same meaning, complete. Inside out, inside out. No holes, no gaps, no cracks. What's the problem then? What's so hard? It's called real life. Let me just run through a few examples that come across our path in business in the United States. Uh, a big one for us is firing or reprimanding employees. I really got shook up. We, we went to a seminar a while back and a guy said, why do you, you downsize, you right size, you tell your employees, well, we're shifting responsibilities, this isn't a good fit for you, we don't think... In the long run, it's best for you to stay in this position, blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying you're fired, <laughs> you don't do a good job. We thought you could do this job. You can't. So we're going to replace you or we're going to do away with the job. We're going to make this. Because we won't shoot straight. And why don't we do that? We're afraid we might get sued. We're afraid they may not like us. It's difficult. Nobody likes conflict. So we, we skirt the truth. We won't look somebody in the eye and say, you're fired anymore. And just, that's integrity. I mean, at, least, at least you're telling them being honest with them. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, you're going pretty quick, and that's fine. Yeah. At one point there, you know, you're fine. You can't just tell someone you're fired in today's society. And that's not a lack of integrity. That's a, we have to live by the law. Well, you can in Louisiana. <laughs> you still, we're still an at-will state. Yeah. No. Well, well, let's just say, let's just say you're going to reprimand them. That comes up more often. It's real hard. I have a real hard time with that. Struggling with that right now in a situation. Uh, peer pressure. If you start to walk with integrity, you make other people who are not doing it look bad. They don't like that. You start filling out a report a certain way when everybody's got the habit of doing it a different way or making a bid and disclosing things that no one else discloses, all of a sudden it comes to light. They don't like that. And you, and you have friction, problems. And so peer pressure. You know, everybody does it this way. In fact, whenever we have a discussion about how to do something, it always comes up. Well, everybody does it this way. 
We're always saying, well, they may, everybody may be wrong. They may be right. But more often than not, that's not a good indication. But peer pressure, everybody does it. We just want to kind of go with the flow, and we know how dangerous that is from a scriptural standpoint. Sales, if you tell the truth, if you're honest, if you walk with integrity, you, gotta, you may not make the sale. Guys, it is hard to scratch out a living. I don't know how it is with you, but in the time that I've been out in business, it has gotten harder and harder and harder. When I first started, I practiced law. And all my buddies that are still practicing law just talk about how grisly it is. It's just not that much fun anymore. It's very difficult. In business, since I, I, I switched over and started to uh, be involved with an insurance third-party administration firm, it's gotten more and more difficult to compete. The margins go smaller, and you need every sale and that pressure. We really don't believe God when He says He'll meet our needs. And that pressure to make the sale, we don't give the negatives. The truth of the matter is when we do give the negatives, people believe us and we're gaining credibility. We don't like to do that. We recently made a bid on a piece of business and that we had never done before. And we really were trying to figure out a way to not highlight that. And all of a sudden, it hit us. We better, you know, we need to hit that on. It's true. We really haven't done it before. We better just tell them out front, be honest, and then tell them why they ought to do business with us anyway. But the tendency was not to do that. The tendency was to shade it. Uh, the IRS, the people like that. See, we all hate certain institutions, and because of that, it makes us not want to do the right thing with them. The real life is you really they do take too much money. They do waste it. So you don't want to give it to them, but that's not justification. That's not justification. Negotiations, this is a really big one. A verse that uh, Dave Reinstein hit me between the eyes with years ago is in Philippians 2.4. Do not look after your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. God cuts a deal with you. He gives you a price you know He can't live with. He's made a mistake. Do you let Him walk in that? Or do you protect Him from that? Do you, look, you know, are you going to believe God and trust Him? And you know how negotiations go today. It's a big game, right? If you tell them what your real price is, you're going to make them feel bad anyway because <laughs> they really won't believe you. Nobody tells them. You're going to be at a competitive disadvantage if you negotiate from a standpoint of integrity. You're going to need a sovereign God to protect you because you're going to be in deep because nobody else plays by the rules. Yeah. No, there, no. If the guy asks you a point blank question, you may have to say, "I can't. I won't tell you that. I won't answer. You can't lie." But it may. But it does mean that the goal can't be get as much as you can out of the guy. Get the absolute best you can, and let the buyer beware, or let the seller beware. Where those lines are is, is a is a huge topic, and I got into it with some guys after the talk. We don't have time for now. But I, I would suggest you when you go into some negotiations, you ought to think about what a fair position is. And draw a line and say, we won't let them take less than that. But there's a range of market value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Because from the world standpoint, when you when you deal with integrity, you are at a disadvantage. Yeah. That's right. Even if you, the deals never came around, you, he'll make it up to you in eternity. Competition. The real world has competition. They're telling lies about you. There's tendency to say, hey, they're a good company. But, you know, they have had some financial trouble lately. Have you heard about I don't know if you heard that, but you need to take that into account because we wouldn't want you to get into trouble now. See, they're out, they're out doing it to you, so you got to do it to them because they're doing it to you, right? You know what the Bible says about competition. It doesn't. It's, 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 you're not, if you have a sovereign God, you're not in competition. You do the best job you can. You don't worry about it. Yeah. But you don't. But you see, because of that pressure that we sense to feel, and because we really don't believe God's sovereign, and He's going to give you what He's going to give you, and nobody can take it from you, we don't walk with integrity. We really believe that God doesn't understand American business. I mean, let's face it. He wrote that book 2,000 years ago. Like everybody was farmers. You know, really. Yeah. He, what did he know about the um, in capital investment and increasing cost? And we use the postage you know, stamps profusely and the phones and all that. God didn't know about all that. It's so complex. He didn't understand that. Those rules certainly couldn't apply. You cannot look out after somebody else's interest today. They've got to do it themselves, right? Yeah. We also believe that God doesn't understand American relationships. Yeah. Truth of the matter, we're going to see, I'll share a verse with you. God knew exactly what it was going to be like. But the problem is, because we don't believe that, we say, and we also feel somehow that profit is dirty, which the Bible doesn't teach that. It's okay to make a profit. It's deceit that's a problem. So we, we box God out, God out of business and we compartmentalize it. He's on Sunday, Monday to Friday. You don't have any part of this, God, because you really don't understand. And we get into all kinds of trouble. And they say, you're a hypocrite. I can tell you, many guys I've talked to the gospel talk to about the gospel say I was never interested because the guys I saw on Sunday I saw what they did on Monday and it wasn't it was obviously a sham there was no integrity we sue one another office politics we play games continually uh, and if you don't play the game you're not going to get ahead you slander employees you trade on information you manipulate you cajole you got to you're not going to get ahead right you don't walk with integrity God says he hates slandering and slander by the way guys it's, it's, it's telling something negative about somebody. It's not, the issue is not whether it's true or not. I don't even like to think about that. Let's go on. Okay, so what? So where are we? Employee theft is at a billion a week in the United States. 20% of the gross national product is not reported to the IRS. 74% of Americans say, I will steal from those who really won't miss it. 74%. 64% say, I will lie when it suits me. I think that's they were lying. <laughs> I think it's higher. Fifty percent. I will waste the equivalent of a full day of work each week. That hurts. Fifty-three percent. I will cheat on my spouse. Sixty-nine percent say there's no absolute moral standard, but ethics should fluctuate with the with the situation. Almost seventy percent. Only thirteen percent still believe in the Ten Commandments. As a result, you have guys writing letters like this, like Senator Ashurst of Arizona wrote years ago to his colleague Mark Smith. The great trouble with you, Mark, is that you refuse to be a demagogue. You will not submerge your principles in order to get yourself elected. What a weak guy. You must learn that there are times when a man in public life is compelled to rise above his principles. Think about that. Yeah. 
rise above his principles. Chinese proverb, he who sacrifices conscience for ambition has burned the picture for the ashes. And if you get anybody read Calvin and Hobbes, if you, if you get if you get in your paper, you got to read it because this guy is a great observer of life. Great, in fact, buy the books. I'm not kidding you; it really is solid. Get some good stuff. It's a, it's about a little kid with a, a, an imaginary friend. It's his pet tiger, and the pet tiger's named Hobbes. So they're walking in the snow. This is uh, recently this year, and Hobbes the tiger says to Calvin, "How are you doing on your New Year's resolutions?" Calvin says, I didn't make any. You see, in order to improve oneself, one must have some idea of what's good, and that implies certain values. But as we all know, values are relative. Every system of belief is equally valid, and we need to tolerate diversity. Virtue isn't better it's than vice. It's just different. Hobbes says, I don't know if I can tolerate that much tolerance. Calvin says, I refuse to be victimized by notions of virtuous behavior. That's where we are. That's where we live, guys. He's absolutely... That's exa- He's just being logical. All he is is applying a little thinking to what's going on in America. In my own life, I can tell you that I have many, many times failed to believe God when He said He'd meet my needs and compromise. Just didn't believe Him. Just didn't believe He was really God. I just didn't pull it off. But what's His standard? Because one day, men, we will stand before one audience and it's the only one we're going to care about. We will not care about the houses. We will not care about what all our neighbors think about us. We won't care about our wives. We're going to only be concerned with this one person thinks, and that's God. And he says he seeks men with integrity. We heard about Amaziah. If you've never studied the lives of the kings, I encourage you to do that. I was challenged to do it years ago by Gail Jackson. I've been through them. I'm on my fourth trip. And I made a ton of notes on them. And it's, it's interesting. And the reason I like the kings is because... They're just like us. They had secular jobs, and you can watch their lives played out over 30, years, 30, 40 years, 50 years. So you can see where they started and where they ended up. And interestingly, uh, there's a number of keys to the king's life, but one of them that, that um, is you want to look for is, and, it, and Amaziah is a great example of this, is it says, and he did what was right in his eyes of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. See, he lacked integrity. Because the whole heart, you see, that whole is integrity, consistent inside out, no flaws because you believe it top to bottom, front to back, through and through. And what happens, Amaziah starts out strong, I think it's 20 years later, he crashes. And it always happens. See, guys, and the scary thing is, is, is that's going to be true for us. If we don't walk with integrity, if, we, if we're around long enough, you're going to see I'm talking about. It's in, the thing was so scary for me is I could see I was headed for the ditch. May still be. It's a tough one. But God's looking for men with integrity. He demands absolute honesty. He hates cheating and dishonesty. I don't even. I'm not going to give you the references. There's just too. There's just too many of them. I'll tell you something else. God expects us to fulfill our commitments. This is a major deal. Major deal in our culture, guys. Two things about commitments. We don't make them anymore. I mean, the, the sociologists will tell you that is something that has changed. People used to go to the same church even though it was dead. They didn't enjoy it. They still went every week. They belonged to the Masons, the Rotary. They did their whole lives. They stayed with wives they hated. They, made, they, they were very loyal. Very When they made commitments, they followed up on them. 
that has totally changed. People do not make commitments anymore. We use terms, we have significant others, we get involved with, we drop, you know, we, we just don't commit anymore. But I, I, I maintain it, we ought to make commitments. It doesn't make a difference because we don't keep them. So why are we so scared to make them? Nobody bothers to keep them. I cannot tell you how many people let you down. That's why God says, a faithful man who can find. Where are they? The guy was looking for the lamb for an honest man. He, he, you know, he looked a lot longer looking for a faithful man. People do not fulfill their commitments. They say, I'm going to do something. Then they find out there's more pain involved. And they worry about how to get out of it. They worry about how to get out of it. In fact, it's so strong that if we, you can name, we could sit here and we could all agree on the few people that we know are committed. You know, Ralph Nader, for example. I may hate him, but the guy's committed. Since I was in high school, the guy's been doing the same thing. I don't agree with it, but the guy's committed. Mother Teresa, there's others like that. And they stand out because it's so rare. You think and think, no matter how much pressure, whether they're popular or unpopular, whether they're in favor or not, they're still doing the same thing. And nothing to do with it. It's obvious their belief system, they're living it out consistently. What's on the outside, over time, comes to the fore. Feel about it? Let your yes be yes, your no be no. He who keeps an oath, even when it hurts. See, pain is not the issue. Expense is not the issue. You make a commitment where it puts you out of business. That's not the issue. You fulfilled the commitment. You made a commitment. How does God feel about it? Who were I know Gail Jackson once talked about the Gibeonites. You remember? You remember who the Gib, not Gideon, the Gibeonites were? They were the they were one of the tri, one of the peoples that lived in Canaan when the Israelites came through. And they, they knew they were going to get whooped. They weren't a powerful nation. So what they did, they dressed in the rags like they'd come from a long way. They worn out shoes. They, they got old wine skins and stale's bread. And they walked about three miles to the Israel and said, we came from a far country. We've heard about you. We want to do a deal with you. We want to make a covenant with you. And Israel says, wait a minute. We're supposed to slaughter by in the nation. How do we know you don't live here? So look at our wine skins. Look at the bread. I mean, this was, these were new wine skins when we left. Our clothes were new when we left. So Israel makes a covenant with them. We won't destroy you. We'll be your friends. They, they march up the highway just a little ways, and there's their city. So Israel, they, can't, they say, well, we've, we've already committed not to destroy them, so we won't. So what happens? Fast forward 400 years. Saul is king, and his zeal to serve the Lord, 400 years later, now he goes after the Gibeonites. And he just wipes them out, except for a few people. A few years later, David's king... And there's a famine. David knows God well enough. He says, okay, what do we do? You don't do you know, I know you, you don't waste pain, God. What, what's this for? And God says, it's the Gibeonites. Saul destroyed them. In other words, they made, they, they made a covenant with the people they were supposed to wipe out who defrauded them and with whom they were specifically not to make any deals. They kept the covenant 400 years. Then they broke it and God calls them on it. Does He want us to keep our commitments? Interestingly, as you cruise through the Bible, you'll see this. In Jeremiah 44, verses 20... And by the way, that story uh, on the Gibeonites is... Uh, let's see. Second Samuel 21, 1-6 through 6 and thereabouts. In Jeremiah 44, 20, verses 25 and 26... Jeremiah is a prophet. Remember, most of the nation of Israel has been carted off to Babylon. I mean, Judah. Israel is long gone. Judah has been carted off to Babylon. There's a few left. They have a minor revolt. 
They seek God's will. He says, stay in the country. They go to Egypt anyway. So they're down in Egypt. While they're there, apparently, they start to get involved with the Egyptian deities. And they make a vow to the Queen of Heaven. I mean, obviously a no-no, right? You don't do that. But they made a commitment to this one of the Egyptian gods or goddesses. And Jeremiah, in talking to them, says, certainly perform your vows. In other words, obviously... Fulfill the vow you made to the Queen of Heaven. Nevertheless, and then he says, I'm going to nail you. But he says, hey, don't make it worse by breaking the commitment. Situations like we married the wrong woman. Guys do it all the time. I made a, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have married this gal. I wasn't in the center of God's will. She's da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Don't make it worse and break the commitment. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, but keep your commitments. God takes it real seriously. So if we're going to, if we're going to, follow up in this situation if we're going to uh, follow God's standard we keep commitments totally see the issue is a faith issue integrity is a faith issue if you really believe God or if you don't that's if you do it's that simple it's just that simple do you really believe him or don't you God says in Philippians 2:15 prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. He knew what it was like to do business in the United States. (laughs) That's our business environment. Crooked and perverse generation. He says, you don't act like that even though everyone around you does. He knew it would put you at a competitive disadvantage when he said to walk with integrity. You know, he knew that when you did that, you were going to suffer for it. And so... We can't say he didn't understand. What are the benefits of integrity, though? I'll tell you one of the nice ones when you do it. We live a lot of the tension we create is because we don't walk in integrity. If we just decide we're going to fulfill our commitments, then you're not wrestling with whether to try to weasel out of them. See, we, we see, look at the, uh, um, you see it in, in sports all the time. There's a guy has a great season. He can have a five-year contract. He wants it renegotiated. Tension. Immediately. Marriage tension. Should I stay with my wife? Shouldn't I? If you just said, I'm going to meet my commitments, the tension goes. If you just say, I'm going to tell the truth, I'm going to be honest, you know how hard it is to keep up with lies? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Back when I used to uh, practice law, I used to tell witnesses, just tell the truth. You can't, they can't confuse you on it. <laughs> it happened. You know, but when you, if you try to embellish it, or, then it's hard to keep straight what you said. Try to remember what you said. But if you, if you got, it's like absolute, that's why this book is so important. It never changes. Well, the facts never change. So it's easier. You can relax. There's peace there. There's none of that tension. You say, I'm going to do it. I don't care. I won't wrestle. I mean, it's not going to be an issue of the cost. It's like the guys at the bar. And he asked the young lady standing next to him, would you have sex with me for a million dollars? And she says, oh, you, you know, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm a millionaire. I'll give you a million dollars for sex. She says, okay. She says, how about for a buck? She says, what do you think I am, a whore? He said, we've already established what you are. We're just arguing over the price. She said, we keep our commitments unless it's going to cost me $10,000. Everybody's got a trigger point, you know. Everybody's, it's just an issue of how much, right, guys? If you take that, if you say, no, there is no line. It's not an issue of how much. You can relax. God takes my business. He takes my business. He gives me something else. Even if you made a stupid commitment. 
even if uh, telling the truth is really going to hurt. And guys, when you tell the truth, sometimes you will lose business. It really will happen. Uh, one of the other benefits, God says, I'll make it worth your while. He's the ultimate Godfather and He always delivers. I'll make it worth your while. If not in this life, because there's no guarantees of that in the New Testament, in heaven. We want to believe heaven is the same for everybody. The New Testament just does not teach that. But if it's if heaven is the same for everybody, there's no accountability. I can do what I want. I like that better. God says that's not true. 1 Corinthians 3 and many, many other passages. He says, you know, he, he who seeks God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. You've got to believe that. I'll make it worth your while. Therefore, it's worth it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a good deal. It's a good investment. You're paying 10 to get 100, God says. You've got to roll the dice because you can't see the 100. But take me at my word. God will hold us accountable when we don't walk with integrity too. There's a negative side. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I remember when I was a kid, if there was one cookie and my sister got it, I didn't like it. So I don't think a lot of us are going to like heaven in a special way because some people are going to have something we don't have. And it's, it's just a flip side of punishment to me. In fact, sometimes the kids would rather get a whipping than have someone else get something they don't get. <laughs> but the point is, God, however He's going to do it, He is going to hold us accountable and He will make it worth our while. I'll tell you something else, another reward of integrity. And that is, you'll have a testimony. People will say something different. How often does someone come up to you and say and ask for, for you to give a reason for the hope that is within you? To give an account for the reason for the hope that is within you. It happens all the time, right guys? <laughs> the reason probably it isn't because we're not walking with integrity. If you walk with integrity, they see that. It stands out and they want to know what the deal is. You, Because you cannot do it if you have a temporal hope. Because it's going to cost you money. You can't, you can't compete. So you better be hoping in something besides what you can see because it's stupid. I've got a good friend who wanted us to do a deal very recently. He doesn't know Jesus. And uh, I found out from another guy that he went to him and said, what is the deal with these people who are born again? Does, does becoming a Christian make you stupid? He couldn't understand why we, didn't, we weren't motivated by the same things he was motivated by. This is rare. I wish it happened all the time. It doesn't. But it did in this situation. He just he says this this stuff must really change you. He just couldn't figure it out. It didn't compute. I'm praying doubly hard for that guy. I think that God is something's triggered. He knows there's, he's realizing there's something he doesn't have, and that's just where you want a lost guy. But we'll have a testimony when we do it. I wish I wish I could say I did it all the time, but it's just not true. But what's it going to require? It's going to require that perspective, an eternal perspective. You're going to have to you have to be willing to invest now for later. It's going to require you to develop some convictions, guys, like Daniel did. Daniel, a lot of the things, the interesting thing about Daniel, he did, weren't commands of God. They were convictions he had that were personal to him. He wouldn't violate them. I'm going to suggest to you that you cannot walk with integrity if you do not think beforehand. Because when you get in the middle of the forest, the trees are too close. And, and whenever I personally have gotten in situations where I should have anticipated what might happen and I didn't draw some lines, I screwed up. It has saved me a couple of times. 
I developed a conviction at a conference a few years ago that I would not be unequally yoked even with a believer who was not committed to God's Word and was not moving forward with God. Even if they were saved. I almost got in a partnership situation with somebody that I found out at the last moment wasn't that. And I can tell you that I had not developed that conviction where I did not have to think about it, the emotion of the situation, the short time frame, I'd be in business with today. Other times I've gotten involved with the Louisiana legislature and I've made some mistakes. You know, we're in the middle of getting a bill presented and a guy says, make a, if you, you need to make a campaign donation to this school board race, well, what's that got to do with this? Is, it, is that yeah, it's legal? All legal and everything. But we did not think when we got involved with the legislative process, we didn't think through what the issues were. We didn't have any convictions, and I think we screwed up. We didn't do anything illegal, but we, did, we compromised ourselves. I think we looked bad. And so we came back and said, okay, here's what we'll do next time we'll learn. We're going to develop convictions. You need to do that. You're going to have to have humility and brokenness. We've, we've been talking about that all weekend. If you're ever honest with God, He'll break you. Because you start to see yourself as you are. You aren't going to do... You're not going to pull it off all the time. David, who was lauded time and time again as a man with an integrity of heart, committed murder and adultery. He didn't, he didn't bat a thousand. But David was broken and humble. And that's what God's looking for. He was teachable. And that's what you're going to need because you're going to screw up and you're going to need to face up to it when you get called on it. If you can't do that, you won't walk with integrity because you, can't, you won't be bare for people to think of that. People will know when you want to be reproved. If you make it painful, they won't come back. I had I asked a guy one time, what do you do when somebody comes and nails you, even if it's not true? He says, I always thank them because I want them coming back. They, I mean, this, this doesn't happen that often. By the way, what time do we quit? Uh, uh, okay, quarter after. Okay, we'll, we'll, be, we're, we'll bring it home. Um, you're going to need some accountability. You're going to need some guys who are looking on your life. Let me tell you the problem, guys. David had a Nathan who was looking in on his life, and obviously David gave Nathan the right to come in and, and punch where it hurt, to, to put his finger in the cuts. We need to do that. It's people don't know us. They only know about us what we want to reveal. Let me tell you who deceives you worse than anybody. You do. Your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful beyond all else. I have more problems with self-deceit. I mean, let's face it, rationalization is the key to happiness. we got to have somebody who, can, who we can go to who can help us see these things because we can't see them. So we're going to need a lot of help. you got to go to some people who don't have any poker chips on the table and get advice from them. You know, and the problem is if, everybody, if you're getting advice from the guys who are in the game, they all have an interest. <laughs> and it's hard for us to be object- objective. Our hearts are so deceitful. I was saying it's like money is like as a magnetic force. You know, you're trying to hold on to God's Word and you're being pulled sideways. You need some guys who are not in the deals with you to help you walk through them. To help you walk through them. Uh, and you've got you to find those guys. Invite them into your life and cultivate relationships of openness with them. Uh, you've got, if you want to walk with integrity, you've got to refuse to compromise. We really do believe we can, we can isolate and control sins. That we really can be honest in a, every area of our life and just cheat on our income taxes. Just shade the truth there. Just play a little game here. And it's okay because that's the only place we do it. Bad news. 
Luke 16.10 says, He who is dishonest and little is dishonest and much. God says, when you sin, it's cancer. It's not like a cut. It's not a little area that just, you know, is a problem right there. It's cancer. And if you don't deal with it, it spreads. If you cheat, if you lie to your wife, you'll lie to someone else. Ross Perot was right. He wouldn't hire guys to cheat on their wives. Truth of the matter, they will cheat everywhere else. Just waiting for the circumstances. It's just an issue of the price. The right circumstance comes along, they're going to cheat. So you've got to absolutely refuse to compromise. I'll tell you what else, too. You've got to deal with sin ruthlessly. That was mentioned already at the conference. When the Holy Spirit puts His finger on something, you better deal with it ruthlessly. You better deal with it. That doesn't mean you're going to knock it. You won't ever do it again, but you better confess it and commit, repent, and try to turn from it. If you don't, it'll get you. You're going to have to realize that God is, in fact, who He says He is. You can't pull off integrity if God's not sovereign. You, you just can't do it. If you think someone can hurt you, that someone could take something from you, with that, you're not then you're going to trouble. I'm about to tell you, just we can't pull it off. God is in control. They may, in fact, like Walt said, choose to participate in God's plan for your life in a negative way. So they may have to. He may hold them to account. But just like Joseph said to his brothers, "You meant it for evil when you sold me into slavery, but God meant it for good." In other words, he, from de- for Joseph, the issue was God, not his brothers. God was going to deal with his brothers. But, as far as we're concerned, you know, everything happens to us comes from God. So you don't have to be afraid of men. You only have to be afraid of two people, God and you. And guess what? You don't have to worry about God. You just have to worry about you. So when you pick that audience and you say you believe the Bible is true, act on it. God says He's sovereign. Trust Him. Test Him out. Something else you're going to need to do in business? I think we really need to think about success. And we need to eliminate uncontrollable goals. An uncontrollable goal is a goal that takes someone else to fulfill. Now, we have a business. We have to do budgets. And we do do projections and everything. But honestly, and some of the people that know me well know this is true. I, really, I don't care whether we achieve that. I just care, are we doing the things that we ought to do to achieve that? In other words, the things that don't require the participation of our clients or the carriers. Because if your goal requires the participation of someone else, you're going to manipulate them, you're going to massage them, you're going to do whatever to get that goal. An, un- an example of an uncontrollable goal is to have a great marriage. That takes two. So what you're going to do, you're going to do things, try to get your wife, you're going to set expectations for her, you're going to set parameters, you're going to maneuver, you're going to manipulate her to try to have a great marriage. So everybody thinks you have a great... You know what a good goal is? be a great husband see that you can control get rid of the uncontrollable goals because if you have those other goals you won't be able to walk with integrity because you can be too busy moving circumstances to get there you may have a hope to you know we you have a lot of hopes but when you set your specific goals do it with things that you can control with things that you control where the outcome is not dependent on someone else oh one of the last things i want to mention and this is something I had never come across. And it's a little subtle, but I, I really felt that it applied here. Don't delay obedience. This is what you do. 
You're caught in a lie. You got You know, God. Ooh, yeah, you got me, God. I'm going to correct that. I'm going to correct that. I'm going to correct that tomorrow. I'm going to correct that tomorrow. And you delay obedience. A good example of God, of course, says, fulfill your vows quickly. You know, do it quickly. Do it now. Balaam is a great example of what happens to a guy who delays obedience. Remember when Israel's out in the desert still, King Balak wants to, wants to get Balaam to curse Israel? He says he knows they're going to whip up on him. He, he sees how many there are, so he, he knows Balaam's this prophet, so he goes to Balaam and says, Will you curse Israel? And Balaam goes to God, and God says, No, I'm going to bless Israel, I'm not going to curse them. You don't, you don't, don't, don't mess with that. You can't do that. So Balaam comes out and says, Sorry, I can't do it. Balak, King Balak sends some more money. And Balaam goes back to God and says, They're back again, what do I do? <laughs> And so God says, okay, go with him. And on the way, remember, Balaam and the donkey? The donkey sees the angel in the pathway. And I used to wonder, why is God ticked off? He gave him permission. I think God's ticked off the same way with our kids. Can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? Okay, get a cookie. You know, the first thing they do, they step over the line, you swat them. You're ticked off because you told them no. No meant no. It's interesting, you follow that the trail of Balaam. He goes back to God four more times. They go up on these mountains and he keeps sacrificing. I mean, it costs a fortune in ox and sheep and stuff. Because he kept sacrificing. And every time God says, no, you still can't curse him. No, you still can't. You know what happened? Because he delayed the obedience, he finally figured out a way to technically not disobey God. And you, you have, if you, I'm not going to give you all the references, but if you track, just get a concordance and track Balaam. And you'll find out what he did. What he did was he, he, he thought of an idea. He said, Balak, I can't curse him. Tell you what you do. Send the good-looking women down in the camp and bring them to the idol worship. And that's what he did. And so he never... And you know who? God cursed him. He just played off of a curse that was already there. God says, don't mess with their women. Don't mess with their idols. He says, send the good-looking women down. They mess with them in the idols. The curse applied. They had a problem. And, now, and, and so uh, now we refer to it as the error of Balaam. And I think the error of Balaam was delayed obedience. He finally figured, he dawdled around with it, he finally figured a way out of it. When I finally saw that in that passage, there was a guy that had cut some stumps for me, and he charged me, he cut eight stumps and he would charge me for six. Hey, you know, I paid what he owed me, right? And, but I'd already, the Holy Spirit had already said, you need to do something about that. I tell you, I gotta check out real fast to pay that guy. I was diddling around, Dealing around, delaying my obedience. Many times I've sensed God very clearly wanted me to do something in the office, but because it was painful, it was going to be difficult. Put it off and off and off. And the circumstances always get worse. We've talked about it. Bad situations never get better. They seem to always get worse, and especially if you know what to do and you don't do it. To him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. So once you get that, don't delay your obedience. Um, I'm going to encourage you to do this, to, to just to wrap this up, is to get with God and ask Him to, to really to look at your life and you tell Him you really want to walk with integrity. It's not Remember, it's not just honesty, guys. It's, I want to live consistent with everything you say. No tension about it. You said it. I did it. That's it, God. Ask His Holy Spirit to help you. Get some guys who are going to help you do this because you're going to need some help. 
But make an irrevocable commitment that I'm going to walk in integrity of heart. Because it's a heart issue. It's an attitude issue. It's not, it's not a performance issue. It's an attitude issue. And, uh, and God will help you. And maybe, just maybe, some folks will actually come up to us and ask us for the reason, to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Let's close. Father, we do love you. We do desire that uh, we would walk with you in integrity. We want to be men who are, whole, who are wholehearted. Lord, we want to be like David, who had a heart after your heart, and we know that his heart was a heart of integrity. I pray, God, that we would not ever be seen as hypocrites, that we would live out what we say we believe, that when we look at your word and we say it's truth, Lord, we would apply it, as if it really were true. And that the circumstances and the pain level and the money and all the things that we're afraid we'll lose if we obey you and if we walk with integrity won't matter. Only our relationship with you and the realization that you're committed to us and that really you said, if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all these things will be provided to you. Boy, that's a peaceful way to live. A lot easier. We pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.